We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Captured and Cellulite on Make Time for This, proudly a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. We're back. Events have uh, dragged this one out. We promised this episode it's take us longer to get back to it. But here we are. We are here to talk about uh, a film we've talked about before quite a while back on the podcast. I think the case we're going to make here is that's the greatest concert film ever made. And we're going to talk about concert films and I guess the act of capturing live music on screen too. Of course, it stopped making sense. You'll hear all about all the other films we want to talk about. But first and foremost, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm great, Adam. Doing well. Glad to be back here with you. As you well know, and some of our listeners may know, uh, Music is something that we, that we get the podcast about sometimes um, just because of our schedules and because I think the priority should be that this is a movie podcast. We talk about a lot of things, football, golf, um, things of that nature. But uh, the intersection of music and movies just allows me to combine a love that I don't always get to talk about with the one that we get to talk about regularly. And so uh, I'm happy to be here because I think uh concert films are their own unique beast and the greatest of all time is one that you and i are locked in on fully it's a magical experience seeing this film and then also you know we get to talk about some films that may align with one of our tastes and not the other or just some that wouldn't be for us necessarily at all that we came away uh very impressed by so a genre that i've i've come to understand i'm very fond of uh even uh, you know, even though I think the goat is unequivocal, even more than Michael Jordan, or anything else, the goat is the goat. It's a very tough one to talk about when it comes to movies, concert movies, because I think there's more ambiguity kind of to the genre lines than there is with anything else. We'll get into that when we get to our lists. I don't really think I've got anything that I'm going to be shouting out that is 
in the kind of music doc branch, where often music docs could be 50, even 60% concert footage. Um, but I, I think there is a sense of, you know, a concert film when you see it, which is that's what they say about porn, right? Andrew, it was not the, that was the definition for it. I think the same is true for a concert film. There's some stuff in here that others might argue. No, it doesn't feel like a concert film to me. I think some some kind of recorded all live footage from a like a TV studio or something like that. That can be a concert film. Um, we'll get into we'll talk some more about the nitty and gritty of it all. And you know, if uh if people are hungry, you can let us know. You can let us know if you disagree with our definitions. But you kind of alluded to it there. I mean, we both love live music, we both love concerts. I went to an incredible amount of concerts in my youth. Alas, I am no longer in my youth, Andrew. So I don't go to as many as I used to. I have been trying to ramp that up a bit again. God, my body doesn't take it as well as it used to. But that's, again, conversation for another time. I don't know anyone who goes to more concerts than you, though. So I'm very interested in your perspective on this. I think Stop Making Sense to kind of to set the table. I think it does some things that make it feel uniquely like you are at the concert. Um we will be talking I guess specifically about theatrical experiences we've just had watching Stop Making Sense and its re-release. We both saw it in IMAX and I think in that setting more than anything, I think it's the most I've ever felt like I was at a gig without being at one. But do you get what I'm saying with that? Because even a lot of these, they look beautiful. They sound great. There is a remove. There's a barrier that just stops it from feeling like you're there. That I think somehow John and Demi, Talking Heads, managed to kind of break through and stop making sense. Yeah, I think there are a few things that make it feel that way. Obviously, it's very um, kinetic. There's a kinetic energy to the show just because of the movement, the process. It's you know, very much like a play in some ways or a performance art piece. And that's counts on the players on the stage. And then it also counts on the audience buy-in. There's also a degree of breaking the fourth wall, I think, with the camera. They're not shy about, you know, acknowledging it in some places. And also you're just in the midst of the show so often in a way that I think um, it's just very powerful and, and really grabs you. And especially seeing it on the big screen for the first time, <laughs> the biggest screen possible, uh, I think, uh, really makes it feel like you're at uh, you're at a concert. And I've had, I mean, I've had that sensation watching the film again. I mean, Adam, you don't know this, but some of my uh, work plans that may have me out of town on Thursday, I've just Googled to stop making sense showing, even though I've seen it twice in the last, uh, two weeks uh maybe i opt for killers of the flower moon uh d- depending on uh who else in my household wants to see it but you know we'll see uh there's just something so special about it i mean and the way it's unveiled to you as well uh, and it feels like you're you're sharing this experience with all the people in the room because you are in the room uh in a sense and and that's very special because there there's something for me about live music that uh is like no other sort of dopamine hit or serotonin, whatever the word is, some kind of natural high that you get from being in on a shared experience with a bunch of people. Sometimes that can go wrong uh, at Speedways uh, in upstate New York or wherever that is. Uh, Sometimes that shared experience does not go well. Um, 
but like I was at a concert a few weeks ago with this kind of more along the lines of the band sound, Adam. Uh, so what wouldn't be your vibe? Uh, an artist called Charles Wesley Godwin, and he's playing in a room that's as small as he'll ever play in again, I would say, based on his career trajectory and his latest album kind of blowing up. And just like everyone in, in a room singing every word, the people on the stage giving you their all in terms of either the emotion, the passion of their performance, or the choreography, the uh, inventiveness and in Stop Making Sense case. That's something that is very tough to take from a room to a screen. And Jonathan Demme and David Byrne, Tina Weymouth, Chris France, and Jerry Harrison, all the, all the uh, Edna Holt was her name, uh, uh, Bernie Worrell, all the people that like made that happen. It's just like a, a lightning bolt strike that just seems insane, especially after having watched other types of these films just back to back to back. You see how some of them can be very solid. You see how high the barrier is to be transcendent. Yeah, I mean, to get into territory, which I guess is something of the more familiar for people listening to this podcast, where where I go all full auteurist and I start seeing the praises of a singular singular artist and often a director. Um, I do think, and it does seem like it's something that even Talking Heads have been talking about and doing some of their publicity uh, around this re-release. Jonathan Demi is just a colossal part of this. Um, one of the greatest American filmmakers of the, the 20th and into the 21st century. I think a pretty singular director in terms of a lot of his techniques. And I think some of them, I mean, one of the probably four or five directors and certainly leaning towards the modern era, one of the best known directors for his work in close-up. And when he goes close-up and he goes close-up on David Byrne's face and stop making sense, it really creates something special in a way that I think generally these things are not very cinematic. They are from quite a distance, giving it solid remove their wide shots. They'll be heavy cutting and it will be like almost rhythmically. Okay. Uh, cut to guitarist, cut to basses, cut to drummer, back to vocals. And you're just kind of going around in circles, crowd reaction shot which is something that I think should rarely be in these things. And I think it's not making sense. It's towards the end when you start to see the crowd. Uh, I think to create the impression that the viewer is the crowd is a much, much smarter thing to do. I think the main shot is perfectly positioned to do that, to make us be in this kind of spectator's position of watching from a front row seat or standing in the middle of the audience. But I think it's so well edited and from I guess both Demi's own conception and the bands and Dave Byrne certainly seem to uh, be pretty particular like he has probably been in most things in his life but have very clear ideas about how he wanted this to be captured, how he wanted to look I, I think there's some simple things, the building of the stage the fact that he's just coming out with the the tape recorder like to start things off with psycho killer and the fact that we watch it build from there the fact that we're seeing crew members on stage i really do think that is something that's very real and akin to being at a gig when you know a feeling when you're at a gig and it's like most recent gig i was at i was at the national probably three weeks ago and 
there is a poor unfortunate guy whose job is to like have to spring into action every time Matt Berninger decides that's it I'm going into the crowd to like scream these vocals into someone's faces and there's someone who's basically chasing him there's another person who's just like passing my cable through his hands just extending and extending and are reeling it in and reeling it in from the center of the stage like uh, you you kind of see a lot of the work as it's happening at a concert. It's part of what makes it special. You feel, yeah, this thing is happening now. There's immediacy. It's being put on for me. Not only are these people performing, but this is a show that's being constructed and it's, you know, the work is there. And I think elements of the work are certainly there in Stop Making Sense where, yeah, of course, your eye is drawn to David Byrne or Tina Weymouth or whatever it is, but you're also... You are scanning and you're watching the stage build around. You're thinking, oh, what's coming next? Next, What's going to happen? And of course, there are a couple of tricks up your sleeve in terms of spectacle, in terms of props that kind of make that payoff even further. But it's the fact that you could feel the show coming together and being constructed, being performed for you, I think is a big deal. And even as I talked about, Demi known as this master of the close-up. The close-ups, I think, are really, really effective and important. And not everyone can give you a Demi close-up. But the effect I think they have, and I felt this particularly when you're watching in IMAX, you see David Byrne's face, like, blown up colossi with this great, beautiful close-up on a big screen. What's it like? It's like being at a concert, and there's, you know, a big screen, and you'll see close-ups of the band's face or whatever. It's the kind of thing that, when you're at a concert, you might experience, and it's there in your periphery. It's kind of part of the the overall presence. But when you watch a lot of this, or if you watch live, I don't, I don't know if this is something that happens. I mean, the BBC do a lot of this from Glastonbury, from Reading and Leeds, from multiple festivals where they will actually basically give over significant, certainly their primetime slots to showing live festival courses. Does that happen in the US on any like traditional, either network or cable, like TV stations? Is there any, like, legacy of, oh, here's, you know, Lollapalooza, for example, and there's going to be, you know, we're going to pick out, you know, headliners or whatever, even at minimum, and their sets are going to be live. Because it's one of those things that does happen quite a lot, I think, in the UK. And to me, it always seems like a no-brainer. It's like, it's even, I'd kind of come festival season... There could be bands like that my parents have no idea about. They will happily sit down and be like, oh, there's live music on TV. Like, who doesn't kind of like that or get something out of that? Not really a thing over there? Not that I can really remember. And if one of our many listeners, especially the one that won the uh, Phoenix Blu-ray Criterion, um, if they know, feel free to tweet at us. Um, But, like, I... I'll go to the Glastonbury YouTube whenever it's happening when they give me the ones. Like, I think last year I remember, like, trying to watch as many, and I could be misremembering Haim uh, live performances as I could. Yeah, was, feel like I got last year. This year, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've, I've seen that performance of uh, The Steps or Gasoline or The Wire many times. But, uh, yeah, it's a thing I'm in for. So, if, like, if I turned on whatever channel and they wanted to give me Lollapalooza or Bonnaroo and I think I think they probably still do on the YouTube but like I'm I'm not the YouTube what am I 90 years old um <laughs> but, it, but it's like, not even like you sure a lot of that lives on you get those sets but it's a uh, 
like again i'll shout out bbc because they do this very well and it probably helps the kind of legacy they have through the radio channels like built into being yes this arm of like discovery for music in the uk but obviously more globally too because they're the bbc so like let's say on their main shows for glastonbury yeah you could have elton john as the headliner and they're going to show you the full elton john set but before and after that they'll go around a bunch of the stages and you'll hear a song here or there from bands or artists that are in completely different places on their journeys and i think it just tends to be pretty cool uh, it's like this is interesting. We're talking about this at the moment, and the biggest movie in the world is Taylor Swift's uh, The Eras Tour. And neither of us have seen it. I am right. You haven't seen the, that tour itself. You didn't see Taylor Swift live on this tour. No, I saw okay. it. <laughs> um, I, I price gouged people. It's fine. <laughs> it's, that's okay. I think if ever there was, you know. A time where it was appropriate, where you know money might just be too good to turn down. It probably was that one. It it also coincided with the time I was laid off from work. So really, uh, okay, I listen, was, you you were. I'm an, yeah, I'm an idiot if I didn't do that. <laughs> I think though, I I I'll be honest. I will watch that eventually, and I am not a Taylor Swift fan in any way, and I have not enjoyed things I have watched previously from like the Taylor Swift, you know arm of here's here's my music in sort of filmic form um but i'm fascinated because that thing has been basically the cultural sensation of the year globally and will continue into next year when like it eventually makes its way to places like ireland and throughout the rest of europe i was gonna go and see it in cinemas and then i realized i don't think i can hack it when i start to see videos of what that was like now that's cool. There's... That's that's what all what that's like for all those people. Um, it's like stop making sense. Screenings can have elements of that, but it feels like they're they're just there are levels here. Um, and with an artist that I I don't have any real feeling about, and I just it'd be more curiosity and kind of like, what is it I'm missing out on? I wonder can I get it this time that I'd be going to see it for? I don't think that would be the environment I thrive in, but I. Like, all of this is to say, like, Stop Making Sense is re-released. You're talking about still being able to go and see it. Like, it's out weeks, weeks and weeks. So it's the same here. It's out weeks. It's still playing. People are still going to see it. Like, it could play for months and months. It could probably just play permanently all over the world. And there will be people every week who be like, yeah, let's go see Stop Making Sense. Obviously, the level of the Taylor Swift phenomenon is different, but people are showing up. They're going to see that. Like, there is a clear desire for this. Most of the time, it is not going to be done even remotely as artfully as it was done in Stop Making Sense. But, like, people like to go and watch live music. And if you're not going and seeing the show in person, the next best thing is, oh, you can go and see it communally on a big screen with great speakers. I think it would be great if there were more artists, like, thinking of this in a serious way. Like, if Taylor Swift had used that opportunity and said, I'm going to make a really... Like, I'm going to get the best filmmaker I can get in here. We're going to talk this through. We're going to make the best film we can make of this. Then, you know, I'd probably put up whatever I had to put up, but I'd be like, sick. I think that could be interesting for music and for movies. If more artists look at something like Stop Make Sense and are like, God, wouldn't it be great if we have like an artifact of our tour? Not just of our tour, but of our band. Like, that is 
that is the legacy of Talking Heads long after they've broken up and people can go and see it and soak it up and it stands as its own piece of art within our larger body of work rather than here's, you know, an extension of that that's going to make us more money. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, um, I'll see it at some point. I wanted to let like the hardcore fans have their thing. And is that ever not? Is that ever gonna have died down though? With that artist, Th- therein lies the question. But if if I go and I choose to go, and all of the like, I'm sh- I'm gonna enjoy a lot of it. The songs that I like, not the songs from Midnight's, which I tried to talk myself into being good when I was, you know, I'm a, you're a you're you're Sonic first, Adam. I think I'm lyrics first, and then I heard some of the lyrics on that album, and I was like. That kind of that kind of doesn't that doesn't work, but you know I'm just gonna get in on the journey, and then uh, so all the songs that aren't on that album, especially the songs where Aaron Dessner made her sound like a divorced dad, those are the ones that really live with my spirit that I love a lot. Um, I'll enjoy all of that, um, and you know if if I've not waited too long or if it's just unavoidable and the people are uh, you know dancing and screaming in the aisles, like I, I kind of just gotta let them have their thing and understand that that's not for me. And uh, it's funny because normally like at a concert, I'm like, you know what? As long as you're not bothering anyone, do your own thing. But for some reason in the movie theater setting, it's like old man, uh, uh, get off my lawn sort of thing. But that being said, you know, I understand. I got I to let them have their thing. But yeah, that is something that um, is a very inter- interesting point you make. And I think Be- does Beyonce have another concert film coming out later this year? I thought I was reading. I believe December. Um, yeah. She had one in 2019-ish, somewhere around then as well. If this is something that the re-release of Stop Making Sense and Taylor Swift's success with this like brings back to the forefront and more artists and diverse types of artists start to make this a regular thing, if it becomes, sadly, if it becomes something that can be profitable for people, which is kind of like the driving decision maker, I would be in on that, having like a couple of these a year. Um I think about a documentary that uh, 
was really solid this year from HBO Max, which was Jason Isbell's Running With Our Eyes Closed, directed by Sam Jones. I think that is a film that could have been like amped up by some of the live he's performances. Making, he's making some good director friends, too. You know, maybe he could have enlisted someone. He <laughs> That's a good got, point. could have got Scorsese. No one loves making a music <laughs> documentary or a concert film more than Scorsese. So he could have maybe parlayed uh, his Killers of the Flyer Moon work into that. Listen, musically, that kind of works on the same wavelength, too. The The band were like, I don't know if they were largely Canadian, but the, the, that Americana style uh, that has been the new term catch-all for most of the people that I listen to, you know, that kind of fits. Marty, <laughs> where's where's my Isbel co- uh, concert doc? Well, um, like, to, to give an example, so there is, a, there is a working director I can think of right off the bat. I'm like, he does a lot of music stuff, um, has a very close relationship with a certain band, and also happens to be like someone who Jonathan Demi was his idol and he tries to emulate at every turn. That's Paul Thomas Anderson. Like he's done a lot of stuff with Hein, but that that kind of leveling up of that seems kind of like a logical progression. Um now PTA did have Janun. I don't know if you ever got around seeing Janun, which is just it's so good when Johnny Greenwood was like playing with Janun and more documentary certainly than concert film in that case but he has kind of dipped his toe into this world before Heimer a band that they're not Taylor Swift but they are associated with Taylor Swift and like by association they're kind of in the spot like a talking head spot where it's like they're big enough but there's also something kind of individualistic enough and artistic enough that there's room I just think things like that are easy like in an even time sense for a lot of directors and could be an interesting space where these two art forms which face incredible challenges um, in making money compared to what they once did could possibly mesh together and further bolster each other and in ways that are really creatively interesting uh that episode i think we need to do in person because you're going to need a spray bottle or a newspaper or something to just hit me whenever i'm about to uh you know, just be so overt in my praise because of uh, how much I love that band. Uh, I s- still haven't heard seen them live, but I, I look forward to one day uh, getting to a Heim concert. And I would love to see the PTA-directed Heim concert film. Sign me up. I mean, he's done lots of, like, studio, you know, videos. He's done He's done lots of stuff with them to this point. What seemed like a cool progression. We'll see. Um... Tracks, what kind of stood out to you this time? Was there anything different or what from your, your viewings of Stop Making Sense this time out was really the kind of the moments for you or your favorite moments of the film? So I think, like I said, the structure of it remains something that I really like and really respect. It's just the band is un- unveiled piece by piece and then it builds up to just like uh, a crescendo with burning down the house and then goes on from there. I think, um, like, there's no bigger, like, joyful thing for me uh, in any, I don't want to say any walk of life, but just when we get to life during wartime um, and just the whole choreographed nature of that song, it's not even the big suit for me later on in the show. The, it's the, the running on the spot during life the, during wartime. The, so. Yeah, the running on the spot during that i mean he also does run around the entire band at a point in that yes yes and just the 
the choreographed nature of that and just how for whatever reason exhilarating it is and i think something um that it was just so apparent in every time i watch this but especially this one it's just lynn mabry and edna holt are just essential in this entire thing they are not background singers they are part of the band in this and just like help make it what it is the framing of david byrne when he's doing sort of the i don't know how to describe it the clothesline like not robot back and forth kind of a shimmy that is one of the major gifts associated with this if you see it somewhere uh another just like great moment for me and uh you know once in a lifetime is probably one of their top three or four songs in popularity ever and there's a reason um it's fantastic uh uh let's see i mean i love the start when we get the what it, it's the the breathless the breathless kind of uh tribute there with the stumbling around or whatever i've seen mm. it uh, called so i love that I, I i love all of it but i'll stop talking now no that's okay you don't have to stop talking you're here to talk that's that's the whole idea of it um i i, I mean i remain kind of unmoved that this must be the place is one of my favorite songs of all time. And that performance and everything with the lamp is oh yes. Like that's that's the thing here too, when we talk about all the staging and this can't be any simpler. Like this is like a a blank warehouse stage and the kind of props that come in, a giant suit, uh, a lamp, like a, a tape recorder. Like this is like as basic and as low budget as it can get. That's just so so effective. Uh, this must be the place. I think is just an incredibly special few minutes of any film ever. I think you're right to call it life during wartime. Um, so I think the point you're making, you could really, you could really say anything here. I I love Genius of Love, and I I just love that structuring of it as well. And again, as this becoming this kind of, I guess snapshot of the Talking Heads legacy in in some way. That we do have this moment where just one of the all-time great pop songs and a song that was sampled to, you know, to to massive success and fortune for um for for the Tom Tom Club and for that portion of the band to just see that performance of, which I think is fantastic. It's a great song and it's a really good performance. In spite of, I think, maybe, you know. Some of some of the best efforts uh, of Chris France and is just shouting stuff out. It works. It's just like that's that's what genius of love is. So it works. But otherwise, you're like, oh, um, I I love that section because to go from that, and you're like, oh, this thing is great in its own two footing, and it kind of it stands there as yeah, the band is starting to splinter. They're playing their song while David Byrne goes backstage to change into a giant suit to do the rest of this. I just think though that as like a whole run true. Um, and I feel like after that, you're getting like, girlfriend is better. Might be next. Take me to the river, like cross eyed and painless. I feel like they're the, they're the giant suit songs. Um, maybe is Imbra. That might be just before that. I can't remember, but that's just as a kind of a run. And, like this incredible insight into this whole the whole trajectory of this band 
it's both where they're at in that moment, but it's also like you can just parse through everything they were, so much of what they were sonically, then the individual dynamics. I think it can't be understated just how good this band were <laughs> as performers. Um, you talk about, you know, it ha- it being so much more than just, you know, basically what in other bands would be backing vocalists or touring musicians coming in. It's like the way their band got filled out and that was like that whole band was talking heads for this is a big deal. But for as much as everyone talks about like the way David Byrne moves, it's like Tina Weymouth, there's so much of, to be said for like, you know, where she kind of, she spreads her legs and she's like down low and she's like, she's like basically playing the bass down like at her knees and kind of doing this weird kind of dance like the, these just weird animalistic movements that she has too, which are just like as something on screen, purely magnetic. You're like drawn to it. You're straight in. I, I think there's so much of that. And the, the scale of the band, the scale sonically of what's happening here really just, it drags you in. It like, it's just all enveloping. Honestly, one of the very best big screen experiences I've ever had seeing this film there and like i already seen it i already loved it listen to it up loud at home on you know good surround sound obviously that does not compare to seeing it in imax and it's just something that i don't think anyone's ever come close to and it's almost like no one has even tried that they're just like yeah well stop making sense is entirely its own thing you'll never have a collection of you know a band and a filmmaker of that caliber where the moment is perfect and everything clicks it also doesn't feel like people try it doesn't feel like concert films are you know constructed or taught of in that way all that often now which is unfortunate as we mentioned it could be an opportunity it'd be nice to see and maybe if we're gonna have more and more and more of these if um the heiress tour film really kind of does its share in terms of making money and more artists look to go this route. That's beneficial to theaters. I guess that will open the door for more creativity. And at some point someone will be like, Hey, I know this director. I know this cinematographer. Why don't we, why don't we team up and be like, what can we do here? What kind of cool thing could we do that makes for a really great film? Any more thoughts on stop making sense? No, I I just want to encourage people to see it. Um, we did this. It, we, you know, we are men of our word. We're not just saying we want to encourage people to see it. We set up two of our friends yes. to essentially go on a bro date and see this. Two fellow GSPNers, the the hosts of Talking to Tundra, Dumak and Jordan Tresky, uh, went along to see Stop Making Sense for the first time in the presence of Jerry Harrison in his native Milwaukee. Um, played at the Oriental Theatre, a place that you and I were uh, very happy to stop off and sample on our trip to Milwaukee mm-hmm. earlier in the year. And they both loved it. And I think probably with some degree of skepticism, which I get when people are like, it doesn't matter if you don't like this band or you don't know this band super well, this is like one of the best things you're going to see. This is an incredible experience. Go see it, go see it. I think there's only so much of that you can hear and like take seriously but from what they reported back it seems like yeah okay we we fully get it and we had an incredible time like it 
it, it just it works. It's an incredibly powerful work. Yeah, absolutely. There's a reason. I I think this was offline again. I remember uh, I had seen it obviously a few weeks ago in IMAX, and in I was crunching tape last night. Uh, see how the sausage is made. Watching a lot of concert films. And I meant to just kind of scroll through the copy of Stop Making Sense I own on Prime or whatever and just like hit the the hits, get to, like I said, uh, Life During Wartime or Burning Down the House, Once in a, a Lifetime, and then the big suit songs. Instead, I just sat through the entire thing and watched it in full again. And yeah, even if you're not necessarily considering yourself the biggest talking head fans what this is as an achievement in filmmaking and just like performers at the top of their game just knocking it out of the park and obviously david byrne has gone on to have a, a second life in a number of different ways and um got it as close as you could possibly get to something like this with uh american utopia but this was clearly a band with a complicated relationship among each other but when they got together to do their thing they were very special Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I think you hit on something important there, which is this sense that I'm I'm going to talk about when we talk about some other concert films of like kind of capturing the lightning in the bottle, capturing the magic of a band where someone can see it all these years later and be like, whoa, yeah, I, I get it. I I get why that band is a thing or that makes me want to go and listen to them now. Uh, I think that's very rare. It's like that should be the kind of thing that's just like the most accessible quality of a concert film. It doesn't always translate. A lot of it can fall flat. When you get it, though, it's like, God, I from any period of time, you're like, okay, I can see how that person was like a superstar. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in just a couple of moments. And we we didn't necessarily do top fives, top tens. It's kind of tough with what these are. But I'll throw it to you first. Um, what concert films did you want to shout out or bring to the table here as others you really like? Yeah, my runner-up, Distantly, is one you knew I was going to shout out first, but it's The Last Waltz, Martin Scorsese. Um, kind of the last hoorah from Canadian-American band, The Band, which was their name. A fascinating group just from like a human study situation. Uh Canadians, uh, Rick Danko, Garth Hudson, Richard Manuel, Robbie Robertson, and then uh, a guy from uh, the South, 
from Elaine, Arkansas, Levon Helm, who's the drummer and lead singer to a degree. A lot of people sang uh, songs. I think Danko got some lead vocals in on various songs as well. But um, just a, a unique mix of guys who were together in that iteration as like that band uh, for a relatively short period when you consider how some of these legacy bands are kind of going on. I think in the in the uh, the documentary, Robbie Robertson keeps making note that it's been 16 years on the road and he's ready to get off of it and everyone else disagrees with him. And knowing that backdrop uh, all these years later makes it a, a very fascinating piece of history uh, at where they were at the time and just like the kind of degrees of success and failures that people would have uh, once they split apart from one another. Robbie Robertson died in August just this year. Uh, Levon Helm died at 71 in 2012. Uh, Garth Hudson, I think, is the only surviving member. Rick Danko died in, at age 55 in uh, 1999. And I'm pretty sure Richard Manuel is dead as well. It's just a, a, a band with a a troubled history meeting their endpoint. Yeah, Manuel died in 86 at 42. So uh, drug use rampant among some members. Uh Martin Scorsese admitted to using cocaine heavily at the time of making the movie. And why I say it represents a cultural moment in time, it's just like kind of the guests that they invite to this last concert, and it turns into kind of a celebration. Ronnie Hawkins, who was the lead singer of, of uh, the band they originally were the backing band of, the Hawks. They were a backing band of Bob Dylan for a time in the mid-60s. Uh, we get Neil Young popping up to sing uh, Helpless. Joni Mitchell comes out to sing Coyote. Paul Butterfield, Muddy Waters, Eric Clapton, Van Morrison, Bob Dylan himself. It was said at the time that Dylan at one point did not want his uh, performances to be filmed, but the film getting made was contingent on Bob Dylan having those uh, uh, performances filmed. So contentious, a band filled with uh, kind of a unique history and seeing them fall apart after this. It's just an interesting marker in time, and obviously if you're not into that kind of more of Americana country sound, um, it's it's not going to resonate as much with you. But I think from a filmmaking perspective, I have some issues with it. Uh, I don't I don't love the – or one of my favorite performances is when they play The Wait with the Staples family, and that was uh, filmed on the soundstage, I believe, um, and not the version you, in the concert. And I think – the film succeeds when they're in that kind of beautiful room uh, and all together and they get just keep inviting famous friend after famous friend up on the stage. Um, but yeah, uh, Joni Mitchell, uh, one of my favorite artists. I was listening to both sides now on the way home in the Uber uh, when I was over as well, but I had to pull it up on YouTube because she's off Spotify. So that, that was the whole thing. But anyway, yeah, just not the, the best overall in kind of this genre but a very very solid high level film from a obviously high level director who we'll talk about next week also i want to shout out one of the the other uh and i tried to verify this but i could not get in touch with the person i need to verify uh evangeline or evangeline um i don't know uh how that uh name is pronounced in the song uh what that they perform with emily emmy lou harris uh my great aunt swears that we are related to Emmylou Harris. So uh, a Snyder relative potentially uh on on the screen here, Alabama's mm. finest Emmylou Harris. I don't you know who knows. Maybe that's why I like it. In a Scorsese picture no less. Yes. 
this is, you've been keeping this secret for quite some time. I, I just have no existing relationship to the band. I don't think I've ever like knowingly been like, oh, that's the band. And maybe I haven't heard it because the music doesn't translate or that, you know, hasn't kind of made it across here in the same way. There aren't many bands of that era, certainly with that kind of footprint that I think that's true for. And I, I think to the film speaks kind of for their uh, their impact and their legacy its own right when it is just like almost comical, the level of who's who of music of that time that they're wheeling out, which I think gets to its most ridiculous when it's not like oh, here's Neil Young come to sing a song, or here's Joni Mitchell. But says just like, oh, yeah, we got, like, Ringo Starr and Ron Wood are here. And you're like, oh, you're just, like, you're just adding musicians from everywhere. It's like, here's a Beatle and here's a Rolling Stone. Um, I think it's really, really interesting in its construction. I just wish I knew the band better to uh, be able to kind of engage with it on a deeper level. Because I love all the little snippets with Scorsese and how he's kind of positioned into it. Um, I love how it builds. This is something that, as I mentioned, like, and just an endless fascination for Scorsese. He's made multiple Bob Dylan films, um, his most recent, which being just maybe one of the most formally, like, bold and innovative things he's ever made. Um, he just, at any available opportunity, Rolling Stones, whoever it might be, he will go and he will direct the concert film. But this is the one he's most famous for. This is the one with the reputation. And it's not hard to see why for who's there. Um, yeah, just the band aren't aren't a band that I really know all that well. So I watched it for for the first time for this. Um, a couple of things, I guess, coming together. Because over the next week, I think i got to fill in those few gaps that are in my Scorsese viewing history. Um Maybe maybe we do Killers of Flower Moon next week and the following week we do a you know a ranking Scorsese episode because I think it would be dumb to try and do those two things all at once like a three and a half hour movie and then a like 50 plus feature career um, but yeah clearly clearly a really really special work just a tougher one for me when it comes to the subject I guess yeah, the only reason I to... sorry, go on. Yeah, the only reason I knew about them um, is that like even because obviously they stopped touring. I'm pretty sure as a group after the last waltz, and then I think they released another studio album or two. I can't remember. Um, and then they reformed uh, as a band in '83, and then in '86, uh, Richard Manuel, who's one of those subjects you get i think he's the, the long-haired guy that you get some of the more uh exuberant snippets of uh hanged himself on tour i think uh in his motel room and that kind of so it's it's just a a band with like a lot of uh dark ties to them as well but uh the reason i said all that is uh jason isbell when he was with the drive-by truckers on the album dirty south had a song called danko manual and so, like, I was Googling, like, are these real people? And then I, like, started to listen to them, and I was like, oh, how did I not know this band is this? Oh, because all this crazy shit happened after they were at, like, the peak of their powers in the late 70s. But anyway, um, others I wanted to shout out, if, if you just if you just like Fleetwood Mac, uh, the dance, it's not particularly well shot or that interesting, but 
they play all their hits a little bit past their prime, and it's after they had been broken up after some kerfuffles and drug addictions and all of that. Um, similarly, I don't think it looks the best of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. I mean, anytime Bowie's going to play Moon Age Daydream and we get the um, guitar from, is it um, Mick Ronson, I think, is his lead guitar player during that era or, or whatever just yeah yeah uh some like great uh just a great performer uh just kind of grappling with what he is a, as a performer and i think i'm bowie pilled after seeing moon age daydream so that uh kind of helped me really embrace that experience even if it you know wasn't up to the par of like a stop making sense and for me something that we talked about in under the guise of a fiction film that came out last year. I don't know, we may end up talking about it again soon. Um, Elvis 68 comeback special. This is both a TV special and a TV studio. It's also kind of undeniably concert to me, though. I mean, some of it, you've got him standing like in the midst of a crowd performing. Just truly iconic. And one of those things, like Stop Making Sense, like another couple of things I'm going to talk about. I just think the power of Elvis is immediately apparent when you watch it. You're like, God, I hear how he sounds. I can see how he looks, how he moves. Like the appeal is just obvious. And just as this kind of, this artifact, like frozen in amber as such, that you can just be like, there you go. This is, this is what Elvis was. And this is why Elvis was such a big deal. I think it really plays, and I think it's one of the most watchable things you could see if you've never seen it before. Maybe you've seen... I feel like everyone's seen imagery from it or will have seen clips of it. Um, of course, there were some really good in terms of like loyal recreations of the sets and everything for um, Baz Luhrmann's movie last year. But the comeback special just it stands up at its own two feet. Really, really great work. Um, D.A. Pennebaker's uh, Monterey Pop from the 1967 Monterey International Pop Festival. This is another of these that is kind of who's who. And if I was to have one complaint, it's that we're just jumping around and we're getting one track from a lot of the artists we want more. Thankfully, there is, you know, there is a solution for that with some key examples, which I'll get to. Um... But I mean, going through the list of who you're going to see here, like the Mamas and the Papas, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, Jefferson Airplane, uh, you get The Who, you got Otis Redding, Jimi Hendrix Experience, Close Out with Ravi Shankar, really incredible performance, Janis Joplin's in there, like, just so, so much great stuff. And again, like, 1968, if we want to talk, you know, I mean, Woodstock is another famous concert film for around this time but just trying to kind of get a snapshot of a key cultural moment there aren't too many better than Monterey Pop and um, both in terms of the stardom of a lot of people performing on the bill and about to kind of launch off into a different stratosphere um, but all, then also just like the cultural moment the cultural movements I will say um, Otis Redding performing Shake and I've Been Loving You Too Long are two of the greatest performances I've ever seen and there is about a 23, 24 minute um, separate film of Otis live at Monterey, which is basically extended from this. 
much like there is a Jimi Hendrix live at Monterey extended from this, which is like 40 minutes. Both films are currently on the Criterion channel. And if you checked out Monterey Pop before, you're going to do it now. I would recommend that when you do that, you then go and you watch those two follow-ups. I, I think that, like, if I was to find something that, like, stands up with Stop Making Sense, it really might be Otis at Monterey. And it's like 23 minutes. But I have never seen something where you just quite feel like you're being blown away by this whirlwind of like completely inconceivable talent. And then it really, you know, it's, it's not that long after that, you're right towards the end of his career, the end of his life where he tragically dies in, in the plane crash. Um, but just like Otis Redding, someone who I've listened to and I've really liked his music over the years, but I've never, I don't know, show me a different side, like a different, like the performer element where you're like, Whoa, like, this is a force of nature. This is a charisma and a vocal ability that's just beyond anything I'd even already comprehended in regard to him. So really recommend Monterey Pop, but also those two kind of extensions, like Jimi Hendrix obviously at Monterey is iconic and people have seen so much of the footage of that. Again, like, you know, setting his guitar on fire and things like that. Just unbelievably cool. Like to, to fully understand like, what was the big deal about Jimi Hendrix? I think it's one thing to listen to Jimi Hendrix and it's another to capture kind of the moment like this. And Pennebaker, one of the greatest documentarians of all time, um, famous for his work with Bob Dylan too, but does an exceptional job. And I think his kind of documentary cinema is, you know, pretty perfect fit for just giving us a sense of what it was like to be in that place at that time with those artists. Um, Long-time listeners, and we're going back five years now, will have heard me in my best-of list, whenever that was, really sing the praises of Amazing Grace, an Aretha Franklin documentary that came out in 2018. It was originally directed, originally directed meaning when it was shot, it was directed by Sidney Pollock, um, only further to be colossal problems with syncing the audio and the picture and the film spending a long, long, long time, I believe in total 35 years, just completely locked away in a Warner Brothers vault with nothing happening with it. Um, Alan Elliott purchased the footage from Warner Brothers and then basically edited, restored, worked his way through the footage to create one of the greatest concert films ever. Uh, I think one of the greatest kind of most singular examples of just what vocal ability can look and sound like and it's just a fascinating piece of cinema like a piece of documentary that moving around those rooms and looking at the people in that space and examining the world that Aretha Franklin came up in and the world that she was then a part of so you've got the influence of the church the influence of her father but then you've also got people like Mick Jagger and I think Paul McCartney if memory serves me right um, maybe I'm wrong, McCartney, but certainly Mick Jagger, who are like also there to check out what Aretha Franklin is doing at the time. Just an unbelievable documentary film. You could do so, so much worse at any time than sit down for 90 minutes of listening to Aretha Franklin just like kind of blow you away. That's what Amazing Grace is. Other than that, I mean, it's getting into like shouting out some favorites. Um, the rooftop concert from. 
get back. You know, that remastered footage that Peter Jackson just did and I'm putting together the rooftop concert full. Something I think people have seen snippets of plenty of times over the years. Great to have it all as one and to have a Beatles performance and the last Beatles performance available like that. Um, you shouted out earlier, like before we even got to this stage, David Byrne's American Utopia. We did a pod on that at the time. That's probably when we last spoke about Stop Making Sense. But Spike Lee directing that concert film of that show on Broadway. Honestly, just again, you could any day you'd need a, you know, a bit more pep in your step or you need to just switch off and go somewhere else. American Utopia would certainly help you with that. Questlove Summer of Soul out a couple of years ago. I'd highly recommend um, and I guess just things like that come down to my own personal taste. Pixies, one of my all time favorite bands, they've had a great, great concert film live from the Newport Folk Festival, a fully acoustic set they did there. Uh, I love Radiohead's In Rainbows from the Basement, which that's probably getting into the is this a concert film? Is it a TV special? That kind of blurred line. Something like Nirvana Unplugged for MTV in New York. That probably gets into that space too. Uh, Arctic, Mar- Arctic Monkeys at the Apollo, directed by Richard Iwade. That's actually a pretty good one. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. I mean, I think we've mentioned a lot of the major ones. Gimme Shelter's one we haven't mentioned there. I think Gimme Shelter will usually come up at the top of these lists. It doesn't feel like the best of the Rolling Stones to me. It doesn't feel like the most iconic kind of or the perfect snapshot of them but it's an incredible film for what's being captured with the hell's angels off stage and obviously really shows something of a cultural moment in a pretty harsh and uh, unblinking light that's very important too but uh yeah i think that's that's what i've got in terms of the overall outlook here it's there's some things that i you know i love to take in a good concert film whether it be a band that i love an artist that i love or to kind of have your eyes open to someone, see them in an entirely new way, which is what happens when you see, you know, plenty of artists perform live, and you're like, "Whoa, that's that's different to what I had in my head. That's that's so much better than what I thought this person was from from hearing them recorded." So yeah, I'd be all for more concert films, better concert films. Let's let's create some stuff that is worth kind of the curiosity rather than just oh that that band just kind of filmed the concert. I've uh, I've heard or read this latest concert film described as like a credit card commercial if it was a concert film. So I await your viewing of it, and then we can see if these are trending in the right direction. You're talking about the Taylor Swift Aerosmith. Yeah, don't Beetlejuice this, Adam. You um, just you weren't brave enough to say it, just in case, you know. I don't know. Is there I've, bots I've called out a lot podcasts? of people today. I've called out you're a not, lot of people. You're not prepared for that one, though. That I, yeah, I understand. No. Um, I mean, you're one of them too. Like you're, you're a fan. You should get in front of that and hold your hands up. And you are a fan of Taylor Swift. You've seen Taylor Swift live. No, I haven't. Never seen her. Live. Oh, you've never. Okay, you should have no, just no, got no. along with it. They're gonna come for you now. Uh, <laughs> you know, if you guys want to listen to folklore with me, uh, sit around a fireplace. Happy to do it. With some, you know, rosé or whatever. There you go. Open invitation from Andrew to all of the world's Swifties to listen to folklore with rosé. Um, on that note, I think that pretty much does it. We'll be back next week to talk about Killers of the Flower Moon, the new film from Martin Scorsese. 
how exciting is that? We don't get to say things like that too often. I can't wait. Can't wait to see it. Can't wait to talk about it. Can't wait to think about it. Um, yeah, tentatively, you know what? I think we we'll, might continue and do another Martin Scorsese pod the week after that and maybe come up with our own rankings. Top 10s feel possibly more appropriate in this case. But maybe we talk so. through... Um, well, we could do top fives, but maybe we talk through the filmography in a broader way to kind of talk about some of the some of the wider kind of spanning elements of his career. I'm going to start slicing my garlic now with uh, my nice. razor blade. And yeah, that's lots, lots of other good stuff to come. Good movies coming out. It's a good time of year. Um, I think since we last recorded, the WGA strike came to an end. Hopefully... SAG strike comes to an end and is resolved to uh, the benefit of the actor soon enough and then everything can kind of get back up and running and we can get all the movies that are on the slate to come out in the next few months but yeah, good times for movies good times for the podcast as always, to never miss an episode subscribe where we get your podcasts that's about make time for this you should also check out the rest of the GSPN podcast as the Eurostep Podcast Network for all things Milwaukee Books Talking to Tundra for everything Green Bay Packers. Cruising for a bruising for all things Milwaukee Brewers. Until next time, thanks again to you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. <laughs>